0: It has become a sort of unofficial tradition here on SSR to come back from the show's brief summer break with an episode about a book from the Sweet Valley High series. I don't know about you, but I am so here for this tradition. It's episode 103, and we are discussing the 62nd book in Francine Pascal's iconic series, Who's Who. As you can probably figure out from the title, this Sweet Valley installment has a heavy dose of mistaken identities. And not only because the beautiful, identical Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield are switching places again. No, this one is actually much more complicated than that. In an effort to break out of a rut of boring dates, Jessica decides to sign up with a high-tech computer dating service, through which she invents two additional identities, the sophisticated Daniela Fromage and brooding rocker Magenta Galaxy. She's just trying to keep her options open, okay people? Naturally, the dating service matches both Daniela and Magenta with local guys who seem to have equally extreme personalities. Jessica is suddenly pulling double time as she tries to explore relationships with both guys. But what happens when she finds herself double booked one night? Well, I think you can probably guess what happens. Elizabeth gets involved, it all gets kind of wacky and confusing, and we're left with one question. Who's who? As always in the world of Sweet Valley, there's a lot to unpack here, and a lot of it will make you laugh. My guests and I were certainly cracking up for a lot of our conversation, so please excuse our giggles. In the next hour, you'll hear us talk about everything from the implications of Jessica and Elizabeth's quote, perfect size six figures and hipster cars, to school dances and the motivational sayings that inspired us as teens. And, of course, we explore the age-old question. Team Jessica, or Team Elizabeth? Spoiler alert, they both seem kind of terrible when you read about them as adults. I am so excited to introduce you to my guests for this episode, who just happen to be two of my friends. I even lived with one of them in my early days in New York. Meet Jamie Ferris and Abby Tracy. Their podcast is launching very soon, so I thought it was the perfect time to bring them on to SSR. Let me tell you a little bit more about them and their show. Jamie and Abby met their freshman year at Northwestern, living in the smallest dorm room on their floor. They generated a big friendship amid such tight quarters and have worked and played side-by-side ever since. After a few years living and working in New York City, Jamie and Abby decided that their conversations and shared morbid curiosity would make a great podcast. Following manic text messages, many drinks, and a string of how-to-make-a-podcast Google searches, the Odd Job podcast was born. Jamie and Abby are here to ask all of your burning questions about the many odd jobs out there, many of which will leave you asking, that job really exists? they have found some super interesting folks and we'll be talking with them on their pod about what they do and why they do it. Later this summer, look forward to chats with mystery from VH1's The Pickup Artist, a seduction expert, a freelancer and bookish podcast host, Hey That's Me, a maximum security prison corrections officer, a psychic medium, a professional bridesmaid, and more. I am personally so excited for Odd Job to launch, and not just because Jamie and Abby are my friends. I have always been fascinated with Odd Jobs myself, so I can't wait to tune in. I'll be sure to keep you posted about the show's launch on SSR's social media channels. Make sure you're following at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter for updates on Odd Job and plenty of other fun content too. Find the show on Facebook by searching The SSR Podcast. There's a smaller Facebook group page that you may want to check out too especially if you're looking to talk more about books and SSR episodes. You can find that by searching for the SSR Podcast Community. We are now officially into the third year of the podcast, and I still need your help in spreading the word about the show. You can do this by leaving a five-star rating or review on iTunes, telling your friends about it, or sharing the episodes you're listening to on social media. I'd love to see you share a screenshot of episode 103 to your Insta story be sure to tag me at Pod if you do. If you want to go even further in supporting the show in year three, you might want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor. You can come on board for as little as a dollar per month. There are different levels of support, and each one gets you access to exclusive rewards. Everything from SSR merch and newsletters, to bonus episodes and weekly voice notes from me. Plus, your contributions play a big role in helping me grow and improve SSR. Visit www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or go to www.ssrpodcast.com and click support at the top of the page for more details. Thanks to all of you patrons listening now. Thanks also goes to Libra FM for continuing to partner with SSR. I am so proud to share what they do with you every week. Libra FM is an amazing platform that allows you to support independent bookstores with the purchase of the same audiobooks that you can get from bigger companies. They're the same price, too. Go to Libra FM, that's L I B R O.FM, and use code SSRPOD when prompted to get a two month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Supporting black-owned businesses is a great way to be an ally in the Black Lives Matter movement. So I would encourage you to choose a black-owned indie bookstore when you shop for your next audiobook on Libra.fm. Here are a few that are currently partnered with the site: Semicolon Bookstore, Source Booksellers, Uncle Bobby's Books, and Loyalty Books. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR podcast. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR podcast. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Abby. Welcome to
1: SSR. Hi,
2: Hello. thank you
1: for having us.
2: My
0: my friends, my new podcasting gals, we're going to talk more about your podcast at the end of our conversation. But listeners, I'm telling mm-hmm. you, you want to listen to the rest of this convo because you're going to fall head over heels in love with my friends. And then you're going to <laughs> want to go listen to their podcast. I, I sort of feel like I used to have all these excuses to like have my friends on the show. And then I ran out of them. But anytime a friend starts a podcast, I'm like, great, you can be on SSR now. Amazing. We're yeah, we're we're stoked to be here. And I know we're very excited because it's always a fun time when it's a Sweet Valley High day. I'm so happy that you guys were happy to run with my idea to do Sweet Valley. Why don't you oh share God. a little bit Nothing about better. like your Sweet Valley experience and like why you were down to talk about Sweet Valley?
1: Um, well, I'll go first. So this is Jamie. And I would say that I wasn't exactly as bookish as you, mm-hmm. Allie, growing up. So anything <laughs> that I read... <laughs> had to have some sort of like pop culture relevance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liken the Sweet Valley books to like a Beverly Hills 90210, maybe maybe even like like a vintage version of like the OC. So that's why I liked it. So I liked any sort of book that I could just read it as if it were a sitcom.
0: Did you read a lot of the Sweet Valley books or was it like a phase? So here's the thing is
1: I think I thought I did, but then I don't think I realized how many Sweet Valley High books there were. Yeah. So I knew exactly like who Jessica and Elizabeth were. But I don't remember, like, any of these plot lines. And I don't think I read this particular book. Well, there are 181
0: books, like, just in the Sweet Valley High series. And then there are all of the spinoffs. And there was, like, Sweet Mm. Valley Kids and, like, Sweet Valley Twins. So there were so many of them. So I think it would have been a big deal if you'd read all of them. Not to say that you couldn't Mm. have if you'd wanted to. But Mm. I wouldn't worry
2: about it. Yeah. (laughs) No, I don't that think is a lot of books please don't feel what bad what if i prepared
1: what if i prepared for this interview and i read all 181 sweet valley high books we all have a
0: lot of time on our hands and
1: we could have our own podcast about just sweet valley high
0: don't tempt me like seriously yeah. don't threaten me with a good time i would be so excited it would always be fun every day yeah. i would not have to do any of these like required reading books which i love talking about everyone but sweet valley just has like there's something special there's definitely something special.
2: Yeah. It's a dessert. You see, I, <laughs> this is Abby, I actually never read Sweet Valley. I thought I did. Like But never? then when I read it, yeah, when I read it, I was just like, oh, I'm not familiar with this at all. But it was obviously, I was obviously aware of it. Right. But mm-hmm. when I was in elementary school, I was reading really, you know, kind of my dad had us on like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. at a very That's young age. Brand yeah. And so I was reading all of those books. And then I did read other kind of adjacent ones. I read a lot of like Nancy Drew and The Three Investigators and Mystery Books along with like Lord of the Rings. And I just missed the the joy that is Sweet Valley High. Maybe because I didn't have cable. So maybe, I don't know. I feel like I was just missing out on a lot of culture. It's okay.
0: I wasn't allowed to watch Nickelodeon when I was a kid, so um, I get that. But I do think that, like, well, I read this one article while I was getting ready to talk to you guys today, and I think it's a little bit... it feels a little bit offensive in some ways, but it, it makes sense. It says mm-hmm. that um, for a lot of women who are now between the ages of 30 and 50, Sweet Valley High was, like, the equivalent of, like, Star Wars or Star Trek or The Hobbit, to your point, Abby. Oh. Which I think oh. is a little bit like, you know, girls can watch Star Wars and Star Trek and The Hobbit, too. Yeah. But I do think, like, this was very much of its time. Like, if you were a girl growing up in the 80s or 90s, especially because the books started in 1983, like, you were mm-hmm. probably at least to some degree exposed to Sweet
2: Valley High, even. Even if you didn't read them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I definitely was aware of it. They were for sure on my radar, but I just, I, you know, I probably picked up one at a library, like at some point, but I just like really don't have a memory of it. But it is interesting that you talk about how old they are, because I did notice the reference to West Germany. Did anyone else? <laughs> yeah. know
1: that?
2: Yes. There's a lot of weird references,
1: actually. Yeah. That I it, and we'll, we'll go through it. But this Sweet Valley High, I remember picking up, this is a weird memory for me. I remember picking up a Sweet Valley High book in our elementary school library. Yeah. I don't know why it was in the library, but it was there. And I was like, wow, this is the only book I'm actually genuinely interested <laughs> in. And um <laughs> And I remember thinking at that point that it was old. It was like an old book. So the fact that, like, we're reading it now shows how old it is.
0: Yeah, it felt old even then. But I think we had them at my elementary school library, too. I mean, we definitely had Sweet Valley Twins, which was middle school Mm -hmm. And Sweet Valley Kids, but I kind of feel like I skipped through those two and went like right to Sweet Valley High because I wanted to know like what the cool teens were doing. We started talking about this briefly before we started recording, but Jamie, do you want to share a little bit about like maybe whether you're a team Jessica or a team Elizabeth girl or how you maybe perceived yourself when you were reading these as a kid?
1: So I definitely wanted to be an Elizabeth. I think I wanted to be her. Okay. But I am a Jessica. Like I know I'm a Jessica. I can't get away from a Jessica. Like I am a Jessica. Like that is me at my core. So it was problematic for me because I think when I was reading it, I was like, oh my God, I'm reading a book. I must be Elizabeth. But <laughs> it's like meta somehow. But my, but, my, but my antics were that of Jessica. <laughs> and my antics are still that of Jessica. So even though I like sometimes I despise Jessica. And actually after reading this too, again we'll get into it. There's problematic things with Elizabeth too. Yeah. But I'm Jessica. Well, yeah. I think you're the first guest I've
0: had who, because this is now I think the third or fourth Sweet Valley book we've talked about. I think you're my first guest who's had that arrangement. So most people are like, yeah. I wanted to be Jessica, but like I'm fully an Elizabeth. You are like really bringing in some fresh energy as a oh. Jessica aspirational Elizabeth. And I, I mean, I know this will shock you, so listeners, fun fact: <laughs> Jamie and I lived together in New York. Um, I'm sure this will shock you, but I am fully an Elizabeth, <laughs> and. (laughs) I I don't know that I ever, like... I don't know that I ever saw myself as somebody who could even hope to be a Jessica. So I, like, that wasn't even really an aspirational thing for me. So I was reading all these essays this morning about Sweet Valley and everybody was like, yeah, like, I'm an Elizabeth, but, like, I so badly wanted to be a Jessica. And I think I'm so far removed from being a Jessica that it never occurred to me at, like, any age that I could one day be a Jessica. Abby, where do
2: you fall on this spectrum? So I'm definitely also in the Elizabeth category in terms of who I am. And I was reading it and... Maybe it is like whichever one you're not, you want to be the other one. Because if Jamie's a Jessica and she wants to be an Elizabeth, whereas when I was reading it, I was like, man, I'm an Elizabeth, but Jessica seems so much cooler. And not cool, but just like, you can say it. You think she's cool. It's okay. Yeah, she is. She's she's definitely cooler than (laughs) Elizabeth. Yeah, she's super <laughs> but cool. But that's the whole idea. Like, they're, they're trying, you know, it's written. Yes, but covered. my
1: perspective is almost that, like, Elizabeth is cooler because Elizabeth is knows herself more. Like, I feel like Jessica, especially in this book, like, has no idea who she is and, like, who does in high school, let's be honest. But, like, if we're just going to think about the book, like, at least Elizabeth kind of knows, like, her faults.
2: But well, does she? Because that's sort of, like, the other story. I guess. Nobody's she's like perfect.
1: More, she's more real, you know?
0: She is more real. But I think what's been interesting for me every time I've come back to a Sweet Valley book for the podcast is like... No matter which side of the Jessica Elizabeth debate that my guests have fallen on, like everybody realizes that they both are kind of terrible and like need a lot of help. So I actually found this like this essay in BuzzFeed, and I highlighted this one passage because I think it captures like a lot of the things that we've talked about on other Sweet Valley episodes, and I would love your take on it before we get into the plot. So this writer wrote, Reading even just the synopses of the original series now, it's clear that Jessica in particular was a sociopath and with a casual (laughs) sociopathic disregard for anything outside of her interests, she pursued an agenda of naked self-interest, and damn anyone who stood in her way. Elizabeth, for her part, was a master manipulator, a professional victim, and queen of tears as a weapon. I am struck in 2018 by just how white this universe was, how fatphobic this world was, how elitist and slut-shamey, and how generally terrible it all was. So, like, the second half of that paragraph, I think we're obviously Mm -hmm. talking about, like, bigger picture issues with the series, Mm -hmm. which... It's very clear, like, how whitewashed all of this is. But it's funny because as, like, a lifelong Elizabeth stan, when I came back to Sweet Valley for the first time, like, a year or two ago for SSR, I I realized that, like, Elizabeth is super manipulative. And I think, like, we Mm -hmm. get this image of her as kids, at least, is, like, she's a straight-A student and she's, like, very predictable and she kind of, like, checks all the boxes and does everything right. But at least in her relationship with Jessica, like, she is pretty manipulative. Mm
1: -hmm. And I just feel like they're always playing this weird game with each other. Well, she also has a little bit of a martyr complex. She does. So like even when she yeah. has a favor for for Jessica, it's like it comes at a cost, or it comes at whatever sort of praise that she she kind of like deserves at the back end. So I, she definitely has a martyr complex. That's for sure. Yeah,
2: and anytime they do sort of show Elizabeth thinking about Jessica it's very judgmental and negative just like I know my sister and I know that she's gonna learn that this is this is gonna blow up in her face or she's gonna get that this is wrong or she's always making mistakes it's very it's kind of cruel like the way she thinks about her sister because she definitely thinks about Jessica as sort of lesser than her I think or like more
1: shallow and maybe Jessica yeah. is more shallow but like is she like they're both in the fiat convertible they're both blondes and they're both a perfect size six you know yeah so like
0: <laughs> also can we talk about the fact that like in 1980 1990 when these books are written like size six was the ideal like that's I, I just know. think it's yeah that is kind of interesting it's hard and to even it's go it's written right it's written like it's hard yeah. to even go down this road and I like don't know how far I want to go down the road because it really <laughs> opens up a lot lot of like weird conversations and unhealthy conversations about weight and body image in 2020 but I do think it's worth noting that like today I think that you know the ideal size for characters who I think are like meant to be presented this way they would probably be like a size two Mm -hmm. um or like it would be maybe women who are like super body positive super body confident and like on the way other end of the spectrum so I I just think it's like It is refreshing, as there's a lot about this book that's not refreshing, but Mm -hmm. um, as, like, a 29-year-old woman living in the world who, I I hate to say it, like, is constantly wrapped up in body image and weight and, like, there's these impossible standards that we have to live up to all the time. I love that Jessica and Elizabeth are size sixes and that that's, like, the ideal California thing.
1: Mm-hmm. But I also then wonder, like, what's a size six in 1984 versus now?
0: True. Like, how is that changed? Like, yeah. you mean, how did the measurements yeah.
2: change? Like, retail. Like, what's that
1: called? Van- vanity sizing? Oh, yeah. Right. Is like, it really a
2: size two? Right. Well, and it was just weird to see any size written out in a True. teen girl's book. Like, it just was a very jarring. It's, it was thing. jarring. All just the fact that there was anything each other there. That part. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Size six are not just the fact that there's a size listed for these twins. It right. was yeah. just a lot.
0: Like that's yeah. important. It's it's as if the author felt like it was so important for us to have this like perfect, beautiful image of them in their head. Like we needed to know how mm-hmm. how big or small they are. It was such I a piece of the identity.
1: I don't remember like the context of the sentence. Like I was very early on in the book when they Described both Jessica and Elizabeth as oh, the perfect I have it I for stick. you. I have it oh, you for you. Do? If you want me to okay. do a dramatic reading. Yeah, can you read? Yeah, do a dramatic reading because I remember the context of it it's being rude. very weird too. Okay, yeah. Let me refresh your memory too. It like almost qualifies like behaviors of them. But anyway, continue. Okay, I'll, I'll just refresh your memory.
0: The book says, <laughs> She saw the reflections of two quintessential California girls, each with sun-kissed blonde hair, delicate oval faces, eyes the blue-green of the Pacific Ocean, and perfect size six figures. Each girl wore a gold lavalier, a 16th birthday present from their parents. Down to the dimples in each girl's left cheek, Elizabeth and Jessica were absolutely identical. And then to your point about, like, qualifying who they are, it goes on to be, like, yet in spite of their differences. And then it's, like, the same setup that we get in every single book in the series about, like, Jessica is... Is crazy and Elizabeth is calm and smart mm-hmm. it's <laughs> kind
1: of like how people used to like compare Marilyn Monroe and like Audrey Hepburn yeah right yeah I think so, yeah, yeah. With Audrey or like Marilyn Monroe and someone else it was just like you either can be like the sexy bombshell but like vapid or you can be like the intelligent more I guess like insular but like still hot you know what I mean like equally hot but like different types of hot but there's it's binary yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, that was the interesting thing because when they are describing them and they talk about Elizabeth being bookish and really good at school and kind of more intellectual and reserved, it is funny that then they immediately after they describe that are basically like, but don't worry, she was also one of the most popular <laughs> girls in school. Like, like, right. oh, gosh, don't, she's not a nerd. It's that kind, was
1: of, like, it it's kind like. of like in the movie She's All That where they <laughs> – <laughs> what's the girl, what's her name? I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this, this podcast has seen that movie with oh, Freddie Prince Jr. Not, I mean, come on. This is definitely okay. like the right audience for it's it. If not, turn but us right. off
0: and go watch it and then come back.
1: <laughs> yeah. What was her name? Is there something Lee Cook? Oh, Rachel, Rachel Lee Cook. Rachel Lee Cook. Rachel Lee Cook. And she was like, they tried to make her look like nerdy and gross with like, she was like working at the meatball shop. She's got the glasses. But literally all she needed to do was like take off her meatball shop costume and take off her glasses. And she was hot. And everyone's like, oh my God, she's so hot. How wild.
0: Well, and they're it's not like even before. putting Elizabeth in glasses. Like they can't even <laughs> can't. bother to put glasses <laughs> on her. She has to be <laughs> so obviously hot from like the second we see her.
2: At least have Elizabeth work at the meatball shop. And then I would, just, yeah, <laughs> I would throw buy a it. pair of overalls. On. I'm pretty sure Rachel Lee Cook wears a lot of overalls in that movie when she's painting. Oh, 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 it wasn't a meatball shop. It was falafel. But still, it was like a ball of some sort. Yeah, she had like a hat. Yeah, she
0: had a whole hat. Right? Yeah, like Did I make that? up? Ha- no, yeah, an that's anchored. right. That's true. I wish yeah. Elizabeth had a hat on. Like, well, and I yeah. will say the cover of the book, which, you know, yes. I'll make sure I include a, an image of it in the show notes, but one of the twins, and we can't tell which, is wearing a beret on the front cover. <laughs> I, I kind of thought when I saw it at first, it's like, oh, I feel like Elizabeth would be the one wearing the beret because I just feel like that's sort of her vibe. And then, of course, we go on to find out that, like, both of them are supposed to be different, like, parts of Jessica's personality. But when I was reading the book— I, I don't know why I did this, but I was laying in bed reading it and I showed the, the cover to my husband and I was like, Matt, like, which, two of, which of these two girls do you think is hotter? <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be so mad that I'm sharing this. And he's like, well, not the girl wearing the beret. Oh. So berets are no. Apparently. Are no. I, but yeah.
1: here's the thing. I would think that the cuter girl on the cover is the beret wearing gal.
0: Did you think she was Jessica, though? Like, in your head, did you feel like you connected to your Jessica identity with the Bray? No,
1: Jessica, Jessica was definitely the hot mess with the blue streak in her hair. Like, come on. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, who's who? They're scheming again. All right. Who's let's who? talk about—let's, like,
0: let's get into this who's who plot. So I don't even know—it's uh, confusing, listeners. There's going to be a lot of names flying around. We're going to try to keep a lot of identity straight the title is Who's Who, so you know it's going to get a little wild. The irony of all of this, I don't, it's not irony, the crazy part of all of this is we had actually planned to read another book from the series about the cult, which I still think I'm going to read at some point in the future. We need to find it. We need to find it. Yeah. Invite us back on.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I would definitely read that one, because now I'm hooked. I know. Now that I've been introduced.
0: I know. What else are we doing with our time? So, Jamie, you got like a different book in the mail, because it's really hard to track down these books, and then I had ordered it. I got another book in the mail that was neither the cult book or the Who's Who book. I don't even oh, wait, know which know one that. it was. So we, we have all of these books in play, but I'm really glad that we picked Who's Who because it was hilarious. And I think of the now three books that we've read from the series for the podcast, this is my favorite just because it's ridiculous. So the girls, as usual, when we meet them, are just like hanging in their bedroom. Like I feel like yeah. every time one of the books opens they're just, like, hanging in their bedrooms chatting about how hot they are. And so the best part is that they're, like, having this conversation about how Jessica's, like, yeah, Jessica's, like, oh, like, I'm so sick of all of these boys. Like, they're so unsophisticated. I just, I'm giving them all up. And then Elizabeth is, like, well, I'm pretty sure that all of the junior and senior boys in school are gonna, like, throw themselves out the window if you actually swear them off, like, because you're so hot. Because, of course, Elizabeth's tied down with Todd. Like, that's her boyfriend. But Jessica is still, Mm -hmm. like, single and ready to mingle. So they're trying to figure out, like, you know how to figure out and navigate this whole problem of Jessica just having like burned through all of the boys at school and then they go to the mall cuz like when you're in high school all <laughs> cool things happen at the mall mm-hmm. and the the best thing about like this book showing its age is that there's a sign over a door at the mall for <laughs> computer <laughs> dating <laughs> and it says teens are specialty which I feel like there's a lot of legal issues with this, but like totally
2: questions. So many
0: business. I'm picturing it as like a kiosk at the mall that teens can just like walk up to without parental consent, I guess. I mean these kids are under eighteen, not -hmm. to be I don't want to be like lame about it, but they're not adults. Totally not, and they can just like walk up and like hand in some forms. The best part is that it's like it's it's built as computer dating, but mm-hmm. the clients have to fill things out on a form, and then I guess you then <laughs> hand the form to the person to put it into a computer.
1: Wait, but didn't you guys in high school do um, the Valentine's Day scantrons, where you would like fill out information about yourself, and then it would match you up with people in high school? We no are, one did no. those. We're Elizabeth. Um, what okay? is that? Stop.
2: By the way, I don't think that's I
1: looked I looked forward to this every single year and it was so revealing. By the way, I never got matched up with like a potential love interest. It was always someone that I was like embarrassed to be matched up with. But now looking back, it was someone that I really should have considered.
0: Wait, was this school sponsored? Like where I don't understand.
1: Sponsored, you'd literally get scantrons. It'd be questions about yourself. Like, do you like the outdoors? Like, do you like to go to the movies? Like things like that. And then off of what you filled out, they would match you up with people from the school and then and you would get like a full like 10 10 person a list of all different grade levels of who you'd be matched up with
0: who's Jamie, doing the that's matching
1: like that's
2: guidance the counselors?
1: computer the computer oh.
2: <laughs> that's <laughs> i can't believe that that was happening that's why when oh, you guys Christ. were like so concerned about this computer
1: generated matching service i was like wait I had a computer generated master's and matching service. You're like, and it works.
0: And it worked. <laughs> did anybody and get you'd married? Like, Do you know. You pay like $5 off of it. Oh, probably. Probably. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. So you had to pay? I wonder what they used your money for, like the dance? Probably the dance. Yeah. A dance? Some dance? It was the same dance as Jessica and Elizabeth <laughs> were planning on going. <laughs> All right. They too are planning on going to a dance and Jessica like really wants to have a boyfriend lined up. Like that's what she is so frustrated about. I also really liked, I wanted to call out that as they're deciding whether or not they want to like be part of this computer dating service, they um, recall this other situation that they had with, like, some sort of a dating service because I guess Jessica worked at oh, some place yes. called Perfect Match. <laughs> and I'm just going to read this because it's, it's a ridiculous paragraph, and I, I can't believe that it's in print. <laughs> At the time, their older brother, Stephen, had just lost his girlfriend to leukemia. Naturally, the matchmaker and Jessica went to work with the files in the office, but the perfect matches she found for Stephen were not so perfect at all, and the boy Jessica decided on for herself had positively ghoulish ambitions. Jessica had spent a whole party just trying to avoid him. After all, who wanted to hear about the history of embalming? Not Jessica, that was for sure. So he's going to become, like, an embalmer. And that this is her previous experience with dating, not to mention the fact that she, like, so inappropriately wants to match her, like, recently heartbroken and devastated brother with, like, some woman from the system.
1: Also, what a, like, a a deep... Dark. Dark.
2: (laughs) It's very... That's
1: heavy for a high schooler, man. Like, come on. And it was such
2: a... It was written so flippantly. Like, it's just like, oh, yeah, she, she died. Yeah if, I could,
1: yeah, if I could describe this book in one word, it would just be cavalier. Just <laughs> Like a quiet just, call for help. Just like cavalier. Like nothing <laughs> – things that should be taken seriously are not taken seriously. Do you feel like that's because like – and again,
0: I'm not trying to be like – so team Elizabeth here, but do you feel like that's largely because this is kind of like a Jessica book and like Jessica is kind of cavalier?
1: Oh, absolutely. 100%. Elizabeth's the worst, but like Jessica also the worst. Like they are collectively the worst. It's yeah. just
0: unhealthy all around. It's really unhealthy. Yeah. So Jessica's plan, because she's like so bored of everything in her love life, and she like really wants to shake things up. She's like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna fill out two forms. And she of course makes Elizabeth like hand in one of them because she just like makes Elizabeth do everything that she doesn't want to do. That's like kind of Elizabeth's role. And I know that Elizabeth's kind of a martyr, but she mm-hmm. really does put up with a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And she creates these two identities. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so say the bad. names. Say okay. The names. <laughs> so
0: bad. You know what? I'm gonna say the names and then I'm gonna let I'm gonna let each of you maybe like share your description of one of them. So the first one is Daniela Fromage and the second one is Magenta Galaxy. Uh Abby, who would you
2: like to discuss first? Um oh man, you know what? I'll go with Daniela Fromage, okay. which is daniela cheese mm-hmm. like i'm pretty sure <laughs> and so the whole premise of daniela is like supposed to be like the height of sophistication like be really fancy and cultured and know all about like art and dance and music and not like normal music no. like old classical music and just essentially just incredibly cultured and weird it honestly honestly when I every time I read about her talking about Daniela I was like oh no you're not trying to be a different teen you're trying to be like a 55 year old woman who totally. just wears like silk blouses mm-hmm. and like knows all about France now it then, seemed yeah. like it's very France focused personality yeah, yes. it's like France is like the personality
1: type. But also, like anyone living in France, like is their last name fromage?
2: If your <laughs> last name is
0: fromage, please send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail dot com. <laughs>
2: also, also every time, and this is Devine and a little bit from her personality, but every time there was a reference to something French, it was like the most stereotypical, oh. like basic French thing. Like I love truffles and foie gras. Like mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. Very like robotic. Yes,
1: definitely. And I mean, the beret, which we'll get to, but like the beret.
0: Always a beret. It's also worth noting that the vast majority of the Sweet Valley books are written by ghost writers. So, I mean, shocking, I know. But um, the creator <laughs> of the series, Francine Pascal, actually, like, didn't have any interest in writing the book. She had written a bunch of other YA books first, and then she was, like, she felt pretty strongly that these books were going to be, like, more for the masses than her other books. So she um, had actually really loved writing things that were funny, and she hilariously thought that, like, humor would be sort of like above the intellectual level for like the masses that she wanted to reach with Sweet Valley. So she like farmed oh, all of these books out to ghostwriters. Um, but she had written this like character bible that had like all details about every single character and that's what she like sent out to all the ghostwriters. So I think it's kind of funny because it's like as soon as you deviate from like the standard characteristics that you get from Jessica and Elizabeth and the other books, like as soon as you make one of them like fake French or like, mm-hmm. you know, this fake underground punk rocker, it's like things go sort of haywire because, you know, the other books are very, like, predictable. You can kind of, like, write them yourself in some ways. Like, once you read the Mm -hmm. first few pages, if if you've read enough of these books, like, you can kind of anticipate how it's going to unfold with the rest of the characters. Largely because I think, like, Francine Pascal just sent out this character bible to these writers and was like okay like here's the general outline of each book like figure it mm-hmm. out but you know mm-hmm. once you have like a fake identity it it's just sort of like are you guys going to do yeah this. like can you land this or can you not and I think with Daniela Fromage to your point Abby it's like it, she didn't quite land it because it feels it's all like such easy gets like Mm-hmm. Like Brays right. and like foie gras. I don't, it, it just feels like there could have been
2: like a little bit more depth even for Sweet Valley. So when we're looking at Jessica trying to become Daniela, she also picks the brain of this girl who's like the most cultured person she knows. <laughs> but she also clearly like hates this girl. So it's strange. But when they're like going through that, there's this interesting comment about sort of like old wealth versus like Silicon Valley chips. And like her oh. Silicon chips. And it's, like, really fascinating because it's, like, they're trying to also make a commentary on, like, old versus new money and, like, being Mm -hmm. cultured and not – it's very – there's just a lot to unpack in the Daniela character.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Wakefields are definitely, I think the Wakefields are new new money, clearly. And, like, Mm -hmm. Suzanne, uh, sort of, like, similarly to this, like, character that Jessica is trying to base Daniela off of, I think, is old money. And so she wants Daniela to obviously reflect that and be old money. But she's, like, having to fight all of her own, quote-unquote, new money tendencies. Mm
2: -hmm. But everybody has money. That's the takeaway. Right.
1: There's no one who's poor. That's the best thing about this book, is everyone has money. Except, well— no, I'm talking. I'm going to bring up the Oldsmobile with uh, Magenta yes. Galaxy. But yeah. that, that's oh, all yeah, yeah. hipster. That's also, yeah, exactly. Well, but then I'm trying to reframe. Like, was hipster still the same then?
0: I feel like hipster is always kind of the same. There's always like a take on hipster.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
0: Speaking of Magenta Galaxy, I'm going to kick it over to you, Jane. Do you want to introduce us <laughs> to your friend Magenta?
2: I'm glad I get Magenta. Because <laughs> I knew you wanted Magenta. <laughs> I was 50-50, but I knew you wanted Magenta because I'm a really selfless. good friend.
1: I got to get Magenta because one, the name is outrageous. Like Magenta Galaxy is no way is that a given name, but like, that is not a given name. Um, That's a name that you not, would like, make
0: up, Jane, for something like I feel like this is totally. this is I ac- actually can picture you using Magenta Galaxy as like the name of like a Halloween costume or something that you made up.
1: Absolutely. Uh, um, Yeah, uh, I totally agree. Um, The thing with Magenta Galaxy is like when I think about myself in high school when I was doing these Valentine's Day scantrons, the thing that I think about is I think that I really wanted to be in that group. It's like, I wanted to do the indie music. I wanted to be part of a band and I definitely made myself adjacent to those people. Now, granted I didn't play an instrument. I sang a little bit. I had a little crew. They had bands. I was at the battle of the bands, but like in no way was I meant to be a part of that group, even though I really wanted to be. So like, I totally get when Jessica is in the car and she's trying to be Magenta Galaxy and she's about to go to whatever rock show she's about to go to and she's trying to like be educated on these nondescript bands and then she totally fumbles like that was me like I totally get it that's Magenta Galaxy I mean I think she's kind of like and same thing with Daniella Fromage. I think she's kind of a caricature with the outfit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like with the outfits, like, did she really need a blue streak in her hair? Like, did she need like thousands of bangles on her wrists? Like, probably not. I would think that maybe someone who's really into this type of music or into this type of lifestyle would be a little bit more low key or like under the radar than maybe Magenta Galaxy. But at the end of the day, like her name is Magenta Galaxy. Like she has to commit to it and she has to produce.
2: That's true. One of my actual favorite accessories was a Magenta Galaxy number, where it was Scrabble tiles. Yeah, yes, a necklace that spelled Hard Rock. I yes. just that one really. Oh,
1: that was amazing, was
2: So extra, but that was my favorite sort of accessory, like clothing item, used throughout this entire charade.
1: And I was like imagining like black nail polish that was like a little bit chipped. And remember those like plastic bracelets that we used to wear? That if you like broke them something bad would happen to you.
2: Oh yeah. And you'd yeah. wrap them up.
1: you'd wrap them up. Yeah. Like yeah. that's how, what I was imagining. have one well, of these? I don't know. Probably, you probably not.
2: Did. Probably. You probably
1: You probably did. Like, Everyone.
2: Any rubber bracelets and you would wear like tons of them and they'd come mm-hmm. in big packs and they'd be all types of colors and then you could loop them together so they mm-hmm. would like overlap. It was yeah. a, right? They yeah. sound yeah. fun.
0: Yeah. I don't know that I had one, but I'll take your word for it.
2: I'm, I'm sure, sure you
1: did. I feel like magenta would like give herself finger tats with like a gel pen. Oh, I did that. I did that kind of thing. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, Magenta was cool. I mean, I think the thing we have to like, we have to appreciate the fact that Jessica doesn't do anything halfway. And like, if there was ever any doubt about that, this book dispels that doubt because there is nothing in this book that she is like, you know what? I don't need that extra bangle or like, I don't need the beret. She just needs it to complete the look. She commits. She commits to the identity. Like, she, if she's going to go on these dates and she's going to, like, test out these different kinds of dudes, she wants to, like, make sure that she's
2: fully in character.
1: And she does it shamelessly and unapologetically. She's
2: she's a hero. Yeah, (laughs) and the the amount of time she invested in this was clearly a lot. Like, she studied hard. She studied, like, it was, like, the SAT on all these different things, these different bands, like France, you know, mainly France. France. (laughs) I feel
0: like it was a little bit, like, out of balance because, like, I was going through my notes this morning and I was trying to, like, make sure I had a little bit about Daniela, a little bit about Magenta. There's definitely a lot more about Daniela. Either that or, like, the Daniela stuff was just a lot more ridiculous because I, like, had more of it highlighted. I didn't have as many, like, quotes From her magenta moments because i just think daniella was so over the top for me but i i think she maybe could have touched on magenta a
1: little bit more yeah i think (laughs) the hard rock music was too loud so magenta didn't really get a lot of words in That's true. That's a very good point, practically speaking. So she puts together this
0: plan. She's like, I'm gonna put both of these identities into the fancy dating computer and, like, can't wait to see who who I meet. And she says to Elizabeth, isn't it perfect? I couldn't decide if I wanted a really sophisticated cultured guy or a wild daring type. This way I'll get both. And Elizabeth, (laughs) of course, being Elizabeth, is like, this seems suspicious. Like, I don't know. This seems like it could be a bad idea. And, of course, immediately Jessica is matched with guys for like both of our identities the first is pierre dulac and that of course is (laughs) daniela's perfect match and brett who i actually i don't think i even have brett's last name because it like it wasn't as funny as pierre but pierre's profile said that he was born in france has traveled extensively on the continent and in europe
1: (laughs) that that was amazing (laughs) That was amazing.
2: Like, I don't know. Have been A red
1: flag for Jessica right away, but unfortunately, it was a red
2: flag for Elizabeth. Elizabeth yeah. caught it, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth is like, aren't those the same things? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. Like, would this, would this Pierre guy have been interesting to either of you guys as teens?
1: Like, would you have wanted to go on a date with him? Absolutely. Pepe Le Pew. I would have, I, by the way, I would have dove into any of this. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> but I also think that she had way too much time on her hands because she, and granted that's like totally part of these books is that both of them have way too much time on their hands. Because I think with extracurriculars, studying for the SATs, like doing normal high school things, like I didn't have time to be going on multiple dates or perhaps a date. But I think as far as like the, the peer of it all, I think like, especially as American, high school Americans, you see someone with like the littlest twinge of culture and maybe like not from the US and maybe with an accent and you're like, yep, sign me up.
2: I mean, the international... Exchange students were always like the hot guys at my high school. Like they, because they, well, they would come and they'd be in your like junior year, but it'd be like a kid from Germany who was actually like 21 years old. Like they were always like really old and they all did cross country skiing, which like I did. I'm from Minnesota. So it's like you had cross country skiing (laughs) at your school. Oh, yeah. It was like really (laughs) intense. But so I did cross country skiing and all the like exchange students from Europe like naturally knew how to cross cross-country ski it was always like the hot guys I never dated any of them I was too much of a dork
0: see I think that this level of sophistication would have scared the crap out of me I mean I was scared of dating anyway as a teen like I won't even tell you how old I was and I had my first kiss because it's like so embarrassing I was I was afraid of all of it and so I think like any hint that somebody was even further out of my realm especially because I feel like what I really had going for me as a teen was that like I could have a good conversation and like Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was good at school And like, I understood some things about the world that sort of always felt like it could maybe be my upper hand and like my confident thing if I was going on a date right. with someone, which I didn't. And so I think anybody who like maybe could have, I, I just think that would have really intimidated maybe me.
1: Maybe like overwhelmed you. Yeah. But here, like I, I had a really late first kiss. Like I think you and I were on the same timeline. Yeah. But I think that I was such like a daydreamer that I think I was like delusional enough to be like, but that will be my first kiss is like Pepe Lupien you know yeah I mean that makes sense <laughs> <laughs>
2: Check out. Check it out. <laughs> it all tracks for me. you didn't need too many Sweet Valley high books.
0: <laughs> yeah, it all, so many things are making sense about you. I didn't know that you were such a Sweet Valley fan as, as a youth. Um, and now that I know that, everything's just like falling sense. into place for me. So <laughs> Elizabeth is just like fighting Jessica at every step of the way. And I, of course, had to like make some notes about some of the things that, that she's saying to Jessica as they're preparing for these dates, as she's watching Jessica do all the studying. She says, listen, Jess, don't you think it's kind of useless all this? Studying, you're doing. You're trying to turn yourself into something you're not. Um, and Jessica says, "I'm not yet, but I could be." <laughs> um, and it leads to this whole other like conversation that creates this other subplot about how like Elizabeth needs to like shake things up. So as Elizabeth right. is like kind of trying to encourage Jessica to put the brakes on and like maybe not try to be somebody she's not in order to get a guy Jessica like theoretically opens her eyes up to the fact that like she's lame and should break out of her comfort zone uh which I I loved all of that stuff too I think you know for me that was like more relatable even as an adult and we get that a little bit throughout the book and of course it's sort of like there's like a climax to it at the end when she perms her hair but my favorite moment of it is when Jessica walks in from one of her dates and a Elizabeth is on her bed painting her toenails. And we don't know as readers that Elizabeth has has never painted her toenails before, which I'm like, (gasps) these are two California teens in the 80s. Like, seems to me that they probably would have painted their toenails. Um, And of course, the like, the kicker at the end is like, oh, this is like the first time Elizabeth has ever done this. And Elizabeth's like, yeah, I like it. (laughs) It's
2: like, this is what she's doing. (laughs) yeah so that moment really stood out to me because even though Elizabeth is like bookish and like more reserved or whatever you never get the sense that she isn't still like into her appearance you know like at the beginning it opens with like her buying this like crazy dress or wanting to buy a crazy dress so when she's like oh I've never painted my toenails before I was like whoa yeah no Elizabeth
0: like loves her appearance like it's not that she's not into her appearance at all
2: Right. No, She's like, Surprised me that they're like okay. trying to make that the Hilda am
1: Piggybacking off of that. And it's so funny that you talked about this, Allie, because it's something that for Elizabeth specifically, I brought the book. I have a little, Thank some notes, guys. Thank you for being so funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But when Elizabeth is identifying that she finds herself to be boring or not spontaneous, she says with a firm nod, Elizabeth took out her journal, turned to the first blank page and wrote in capital letters, dare to be different. Then she snapped her journal shut from now on, Elizabeth Wakefield was not going to look before she leaked. Do you know how many times I wrote things in a journal? Like I never wrote in a journal, but I would write like, (laughs) like slogans, slogans or like I would take lipstick and like write on my mirror just like inspirational quotes that I feel I think like you did helping. that in
2: college oh I totally when did we that. lived together
1: yeah and we shared bathroom Jamie Allie, has I'm lived sure with should... everyone
0: on this podcast You're...
2: yes we've all you know we've we all, all lived around all the roomies
1: I know I'm sorry I scarred you guys for life
0: can we get your but, husband on here too to talk about Sweet Valley and then we'll yeah, yeah. really round it up and your dad But yeah, well, yeah.
1: But don't you guys, like, remember doing weird stuff like that, even, like, as old as high school, of, like, taking things in your life so seriously that you have to, like, write it down in a journal or do something about it?
0: Well, I was into, like, collages. Like, I I really, my number one hobby when I was in high school was, like, cutting things out of magazines. And I, I would do it every night. I would collect old magazines. And every night while I was watching TV, I would just, like, pour over these old magazines and cut pictures and words out. And then... Um, I usually had, like, one big collage that hung in my bedroom. But I also every school year, instead of getting um, like binders that had like a color or print on them, I would get like the plain white binders that had like the the plastic on the front. So you could you could slide a piece of paper in. So I would collage like a front and back for every one of my binders. So I feel like in the collaging process, I really took a lot of time to like identify my goals and my (laughs) slogans, because it Mm -hmm. would all be in collage.
1: It was like a personal vision board that you would carry around with you to each class.
2: I was declaring who I was and who I wanted to be. I love that. See, I was a special kind of freak and like laminated all my homework assignments (laughs) from first grade (laughs) through eighth grade pretty aggressively. Not like, not daily homework assignments, but anything that was like one step above a daily Mm. assignment. You know what I mean? I laminated it all. Little hack for anybody looking to get into laminating. Instead of buying like the sheets of laminating paper, you just get clear contact paper, and it's way cheaper because I was really burning through, you know, burning through the lamination back then. Some tips and tricks on this podcast. I also had four paper cutters, so it like for different types of paper, different sizes. (laughs) I was like a total freak. So that was like when I was younger, which naturally then when I was in high school translated to like outrageous goal setting and stuff that looking back on it was certainly unhealthy, like hanging poster boards with like, I ran and hanging mm-hmm. poster boards with like the mile time that I had to get. That was like, oh, aggressive to be like, like, a massive poster that just said, like, 505 and, like, would hang it next to my portrait of, like, Steve Prefontaine. It was really psychologically unstable. And so, superstitious, probably. You have yeah. to keep looking at that yeah. unless... Every, yeah. Everything was really bad. The goal setting, the laminating. It wasn't, like, cool. Like, Jessica, like, got to find my perfect boyfriend. It was just, like, very,
1: very yeah. dark. So and basically, all of us have OCD. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, we
0: all went a little bit further than, like, dare to be different. Dare to be different. <laughs> Dare to be different is amazing. Dare to be different. But Paint your toenails.
2: Oh, one thing that stood out to me, and I want to get your thoughts on this. There's a moment where I believe it's Elizabeth, and they're talking about that she was like practicing her recorder. Did that stand <laughs> out to anybody? Because yes. to me, I was like, okay, nobody plays a recorder after. 6th grade, right? Like it's not something you play in high school. So it really was upsetting to me because I was like, okay, whoever it's pretty early and I was like whoever wrote this book clearly is not in touch with high schoolers because totally you would not. not be playing a recorder and practicing yeah. it. Right? It's an intro
1: instrument. It's not an instrument.
0: <laughs> Matt, yeah, Matt, Matt Matt can play the play recorder still. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he serenades you at night. Sometimes my family <laughs> will
1: like make him play it at like
0: just because it's it's just it's just a very awkward thing to watch.
1: <laughs> There's only like, like a handful of songs that you can play on it too. <laughs> yeah, he plays like, five like, notes and the noise. <laughs> horrible he plays yeah. like hot cross buns um yeah, yeah the recorder
0: thing definitely felt like it was notable because I don't really re- like the recorder is not always an Elizabeth thing like I don't when I think about Elizabeth and the other books that I've read again very recently from the series I don't remember playing the recorder so good call out on that Abby
2: yeah yeah <laughs> good one it really stood out to me
0: so Jessica goes on dates with both of these guys. What are your like favorite standout moments from her dates with Pierre and Brett? I mean, like I said, the date with Pierre really sticks out more for me. They go to this fancy restaurant, and then she goes to this concert with Brett. What What were your favorite moments from those
2: scenes? So I would agree. I think her dates with Pierre stood out a lot more to me. And my sense was that the writer of the book definitely was sort of trying to flex on their knowledge of culture (laughs) in a way where they didn't have the same knowledge of like punk rock because there were just like way more specific references. And it was clear that Jessica was more well-versed in the cultural aspects of stuff in terms of the dates. My favorite thing was when they just like ordered the tuna because she remembered that word. Yep. And then he made some joke about like Fellini and it was like about pasta. Like it was supposed to be like <laughs> a strange like pasta joke. That was good. And then there was like a very specific moment in, I believe it was the second date about like Ingrid Bergman. Yes. <laughs> that was, Yes. Like, very weird, but it was just like, I could just tell when you're reading about the Pierre dates that whoever was writing about the Pierre dates was very into like expressing all their knowledge about these various things.
1: There's a quote that Jessica says when she's on the Pierre date, the first date, and she's like... (laughs) you know, life's so short. Like I don't have all the time to like do what I need to do in life. She said something about like the dance. Oh yeah. Yeah. like It's like, like, I want to be able to absorb.
0: Yeah. She's like, I never have enough time to absorb all like the culture and the music and the
1: dance (laughs) and the dance. And I was like, Lord of the dance. Like, what are you talking about? And then as I was reading and then Pierre's like, what dance? (laughs) And then she started just like rattling off different styles of dance. I thought that was incredible. I also liked the tuna part because tuna. Actually, one positive thing from, and I actually noted it because it's something that I learned later in life as far as like getting to know other people, actually part of like my professional life is that sometimes it shows how smart you are by admitting things that you don't know. Yeah. And she actually says that in the book where she said admitting ignorance was just as effective as being knowledgeable when she had no idea like what author he was talking about and so even though the whole date is she's not admitting ignorance because she's ignorant to everything at least in that one part she admits ignorance and it ends up paying off so for me I was just like well why can't you just admit ignorance and just meet people that you would just jive with better but then again she's in high school and she's just trying to
0: expand her horizons you know
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah that's what this is about. So, what about Brett? Anything jump out to you guys about Brett? I mean, for me, it was the fact that Sheaves. Like, I think I'm a pretty good dancer, but like, I don't really know what the moves are at this rock show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the right. old uh, the Oldsmobile Jam. I know you were talking yeah. about this. I do feel like he's sort of like an '80s hipster. He like drives up in this brown Oldsmobile. She's surprised that that's his car because she imagines it being, like, somewhat cooler and trendier. But I think, like, I mean, we've all seen these kinds of cars that are so clearly, like, meant to be cool when maybe they're not.
1: She said it was so square, it was cool. But then again, I feel like she's just rational, which again, we'll get to the end of the book, but like she just rationalizes everything, which I think all of us, when we're infatuated with someone, we rationalize everything about them in order to play into you know whatever narrative that we have.
2: Right, and to that point, it was interesting because despite the fact that Jessica is supposed to be the super forward, outgoing girl who has like no fear and all the confidence in the world, when you're reading it, You're like, wow, she is just very insecure. Like the Mm -hmm. assumption anytime she like tripped over something in either date you know, with Brett or with Pierre, she always just assumed she was wrong Mm -hmm. or she made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And that sort of stood out to me because, like, despite the fact of, like, who she's supposed to be, she was always questioning whether she said the right thing, which was kind of a bummer. I
0: think that's a really good point. And I do think it sort of speaks to, like, the way that women are socialized. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, like, I struggle with this still like I'm I and I'm aware of it like I'm, I'm aware I'm aware that this is a thing that women are socialized to do to like apologize or to assume that no matter how much research you do about something you probably still are going to be behind like a man mm-hmm. and it, I feel so icky even saying that but that's something that I think we take in from the world around us and it's so clear with Jessica I mean as ridiculous as she looks to us as readers she really put in a lot of time to, like, learn how to play these roles. And so chances mm-hmm. chances are that, like, she should have done pretty well, even though she made some mistakes. Like, she put in the time and she should have been able to walk into these interactions with a little bit more confidence than she had.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I also think, like, as far as just, like, looking honestly at myself, especially in high school or even college. And, like, this book is kind of true in the fact that we do, especially in, like, dating early on like give the power position to the man in like heterosexual relationships so it's like i have to impress him i have to look good for him i have to have the i have to have the same interests as him rather than it being like a two-way street so but i do think like at the end of the book you start to identify that everyone kind of has those insecurities but it's it's like an interesting commentary on something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: because if we fast forward to the end of the book, Jessica's best friend Lila drops the ball. She's supposed to be like getting Jessica. <laughs> she
2: seems like a terrible. friend. She's a terrible also.
0: friend. But Jessica. She's like kind
2: of the best. <laughs> yeah, she's
0: yeah. hilarious. So like Jessica asks her to answer some of her calls because these boys are calling the Wakefield house, and her mom's like, "Who's Daniela Fromage? Like <laughs> she doesn't live here." So Jessica, of course, <laughs> I like asks Magenta. Yeah, who are these people? And so Lila is like, "Okay." like i'll answer your calls but she's just like she doesn't actually do anything to help she's like jessica i'm not your personal secretary so because she doesn't answer the phone jessica ends up double booked with both of these guys on the same night and elizabeth owes her one because jessica helped her buy that dress that she really wanted and so jessica's like well of course elizabeth you and i will just like both go on these dates at the same restaurant i will be each character for a few minutes so that like these boys can make sure that they like you know, we're keeping track of the conversation. They won't feel like I'm not aware of what's going on. And then we'll just change in the bathroom every 10 minutes, which it feels like very confusing when I say it. And that's because it is like, it's very confusing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Also, I don't know why they use a 10 minute marker because like no one has to go to the bathroom every 10 minutes.
0: Yeah. That but in it's itself is so suspicious. embarrassing. It's like very yeah. humiliating on a date, like every 10 minutes to have to go to the bathroom.
2: And yeah. the interesting thing was reading the book, you obviously knew the twin thing was going to come into play. Like, yeah, you course. know, she was juggling too many boys and you knew this was going to happen. You knew, Lila was going to be an inconsistent friend and drop the ball like you really really saw it coming but the thing that was interesting to me is rather than just saying like okay Elizabeth like you go with Brett or you go with Pierre and I'm gonna stay with like Brett or Pierre the whole time they further complicate it and are like no we're not just gonna like send you off with one like we're gonna do these constant wardrobe changes in the bathroom.
1: Yeah, the outfits were just as complicated as the
0: plan. Right, so many accessories. Well, because Jessica's like, it will seem like less weird (laughs) if I have sort of (laughs) been talking to each of these guys for parts of the night. Like, that will be less weird and just easier. Um, Mm -hmm. Which it so isn't. And over the course of this, like, I mean, you can just kind of see it played out as if it were a movie. Like, it would be an amazing montage in a movie. Mm -hmm. Like, every ten minutes them just like running to the bathroom and changing. And Elizabeth is just, like, not here for it. Like, she is not here for these guys she immediately picks up on the fact that like pierre is full of shit with everything he knows and doesn't know about france she's like not enjoying brett at all um and she tells jessica like you're better than this. Like, both of these guys kind of suck. I've been telling you from the beginning that, like, you shouldn't be pretending to be someone you're not. And now that I see how terrible these guys are, like, you definitely shouldn't be. What did you guys think of that? I mean, you're both, like, siblings. You both have sisters, I know. Um, I have I have sisters. And I, I was like, you know, I appreciate, like, this message that Elizabeth is trying to get across to Jessica. That like, look, I'm annoyed with you and this is bullshit. But, like, a lot of it is just because I think you can do better and, like, you deserve to be treated more respectfully than these guys are treating you. So I, I did think that that was kind of a weirdly nuanced portrayal of, like, a sibling relationship because, it's like, I'm annoyed at you and, like, you have gotten me involved in something that I don't want to be part of. And that's, like, a big part of this. But the other part of this is that,
1: like, you're selling yourself way short. I agree with that. I just, like, and thing is... It's a book and it has to be entertaining. But I kind of like didn't want her to mess it up for Jessica. Like, it's fine to pull her in the bathroom and be like, there's something wrong. There's like yeah. millions of red flags. Here are the red flags. But then to like start a fight with them and then end it isn't right either.
0: Yeah. Cause Jessica, yeah. Elizabeth like tells these guys basically, like, she yeah. tells Pierre off and she's like, you're, yeah. the, you're, you don't know what you're talking about basically. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I thought that the message that Elizabeth gave, Jessica was right. Like, she's obviously right, and the guys were clearly duds. But I think it was pretty uncool to just, like, unilaterally make the decision for her sister, especially because she called out Pierre, who, throughout the book, I thought Jessica seemed more into. Me too. Right?
1: Yeah,
0: I think if Jessica ended up with one of them, it would have been Pierre, for sure. Yeah, she definitely preferred her
1: Daniela outfits versus the magenta outfits, which should tell you right there.
0: Yeah, she wanted to like be part of that world more than the underground rock world. Mm-hmm. So we find yeah, out in the end that like these guys are also part of the who's who. Like they too are pretending to be someone they're not. Pierre is actually a lot more like Brett, and Brett is actually a lot more like Pierre.
1: <laughs> and somewhere in the amazing. Yeah, wait, like, can you say Pierre's real name? Pierre Dulac.
2: Pete Lake, oh, Pete Lake. oh, oh Pete <laughs> which is Lake. so funny because, because when we, when I first dove into the book yeah. and I saw like Pierre Duloc as the name, I texted Jamie and I said, his name literally translates to Pete Lake. So it was like a great, <laughs> right, great. Like, plot it you it really put like, a bow on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, knew it.
0: Yeah. I mean, somewhere in, in, in this story is like an in, an intended message that's like fairly deep about like everybody wants to be someone they're not and like everybody's trying really hard. And I, I think it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was like zany. It was wacky. What did you guys think about that? Like final realization?
1: It's on brand for like the coming of age high school, like John Hughes movie. Yeah.
2: It was sort of interesting that so, Jessica, in developing these characters, we talked about Suzanne, who was sort of the, you know, the inspiration for Daniela. And then I forget the other girl's name that she met with. I forget to, too. To she didn't spend yeah. as much time um, on her. Um, yeah. Like Dana or something. Dana, yeah.
1: But name. she, she yeah. Like, demanded her bracelets back, though. Yeah. yeah. She well, needed so her that was,
2: So that was what was really interesting to me is, like, so she's picking the brain of these two people to be like them. She borrows all their clothes for an extended amount of time. And it's mm-hmm. very clear that, like, these are important pieces of clothing and things in like their wardrobes and in their lives and the sentence that really stood out to me a lot was the time comes where Jessica has to return her stuff the stuff to them and she is so mean to these girls that gave her their wardrobes and she makes up some lie i like i have notes on it cuz it really no, stood she's out she's like me. honestly she's a brat oh yeah she's like i would have dropped it off at your place but i'm waiting for a call from my grandma so then she Forces the two girls who just did these massive favors in my mind for her. She forces them to come to her house to pick up all the stuff that they lent her because she's just lazy. Like, that's all it is. But then it turns out to be a love story with Brett and Pete Lake, I guess. Yeah. Who end up with other girls and I thought that was kind of cute. Yeah
0: it was I like the ending of it it like wrapped up really nicely um, and the Wakefields are of course left there being like you know like it's a good thing we learned that sometimes it's okay to be spontaneous and sometimes it's okay to be ourselves and like can't wait for the next adventure because we we say goodbye to Elizabeth as she's like really questioning whether or not she should become more genuinely spontaneous (laughs) Um, and the next book is called The New Elizabeth and we're going to find out like just how crazy she can get
2: She's wild. She's wild. Did you guys, did you guys find the way in which Jessica and Jessica and Elizabeth friends were talking to Elizabeth about her lack of spontaneity to be kind of mean? It was so mean. It was so rude. And the way that they
1: were like approaching her perm hair, which yes, of course, it was not great. Like we were just reading the book and I could tell it wasn't great, but like, it's a, it's a semi-permanent perm. It's going to wash out in two weeks. So just like, let her live her permed life. Like, why do you need to have a commentary about it?
0: Yeah, her friend Enid was so mean. Her friend Enid was like, they were like trying to find a place to sit in the lunchroom and Elizabeth was like, let's sit somewhere different because like I'm trying to be spontaneous. Like I have to think about how to be spontaneous. And Enid was like, Elizabeth, you don't plan to be spontaneous, which is true by definition, Mm -hmm. but Enid is just sometimes like, I see why Enid is supposed to be Elizabeth's friend because she's more serious, but sometimes she like really takes the
1: fun out of everything. She's a wet blanket for sure. And I remember people like, of course, everyone has someone in their life that like, even if you love them, it's like, if you're really enthusiastic about something or you want to make a change or you have an idea and they literally rain on your parade
2: yeah (laughs) yeah it's the absolute worst yeah they just piled on too so at the end when she's at the dance and she's like talking about being spontaneous and everybody's like ragging on her perm and then they're all like oh no like you're not spontaneous why are you trying to be somebody you're not blah blah blah. but it's like one after the other after the other is just basically telling her she's boring including her boyfriend and go away todd yeah and like when i was hearing i was like you guys like pick up the hint like we're as readers getting the hint Yeah. how are you guys all just not getting like just say like oh you could be like you know a little more spontaneous or something it just felt mean but I guess it was the setup for the new Elizabeth so oh wait
1: circling back can we talk about Elizabeth's uh, Valentine's Day dance dress because that was also a subplot oh yeah how she um
0: at first they didn't want to get the dress and then Jessica was like it's fine just charge it to mom like she won't even know
1: that really bothered oh, yeah. me when she was like, me just too. charge it to mom. Who cares? Her
0: mom, the most famous <laughs> yeah.
1: interior decorator in Sweet Valley. It really bothered uh, me. Yes. But then but then when Jessica, who's also somewhat manipulative, loops in Elizabeth into her scheme and scheme it again by agreeing to pay for half of the dress. Well, cause so she's like, also like, because it
0: would look good on me, too. Like, she's like, oh, exactly. it looks so good on Elizabeth, yeah. so I
1: might as well help her buy
2: exactly. it because I'll look awesome, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, they're the worst. Yeah. yeah, every every single thing Jessica does has some benefit for mm-hmm. herself. Mm-hmm. For instance, even just the way she's using these girls, the one girl, the punk rock girl, she doesn't seem to have as big of a problem with. But, like, she just not, like, the inspiration for Daniela. And yeah. is just the whole time it's like you get the inner thoughts of, like, her inner thoughts. And they're just really mean. I mean, the girl yeah. seemed like the worst. But it was just, I don't know every single thing Jessica does is selfish to like a degree. It's kind of like in Mean Girls when Regina
1: George turns to Katie Herring and she's just like, oh my God, I love your bracelet. And then she's like, that's the ugliest fucking bracelet I've ever seen. That's kind of like how I felt um, Jessica was like going to Suzanne's house. It was like buttering Suzanne up in order to get the knowledge and get the intel but then her whole inner dialogue was just like how ridiculous Suzanne's life is yeah I -hmm. mean nobody's like nice in these books like there's nobody here
0: that I find endearing I think as a kid like I at least thought that Elizabeth was nice because she was such a foil to Jessica and I always thought that Jessica was kind of mean Um, But as an adult, I come back to it. I'm like, Elizabeth's not nice. Like, I don't find Elizabeth to be relatable or aspirational. Like, there's just nobody here that I really want to attach myself to. Same. They all deserve each other, for sure. They do. Enid,
2: Lila, they're all bad friends.
0: Yeah, they are all
1: All bad friends. Awful friends. Awful friends.
0: Yeah. So, Jane, coming back to this, like, how does mm -hmm. it measure up or compare to your experiences reading these books as a kid? Did it hold up or how did it let you down if it did?
1: I think it gave me the still, like, the same nostalgic feeling I felt of being like these are fun wacky stories. Yeah. And they keep my attention and the way I visualize like in my head the way these characters look are similar to like watching Clueless so, like again like the yeah. same sort of like pop culture high school types of movies or shows so like it holds up in that regard but then actually reading these characters and I know we went over like are you a Jessica or are you Elizabeth? Like I hope And I know we align ourselves with either or, but I hope none of us are either of them. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Right. I would like to think. (laughs) Perhaps a little more dimensional. (laughs) Yeah. Like,
1: yeah, I think like we're not. Yeah, exactly. We have more dimensions. I think that at least us three have more empathy. Like, I think both of them lack a lot of empathy. Yeah. I think that's a great point. That's a really good point.
2: Even Elizabeth, just in the way that she treats Jessica too, because you are sort of like, oh, it's my zany twin sister who's you know doing this thing but it at a certain point she just doesn't care about right what jessica wants yeah i and just i think just they're annoying. so binary
0: it's like jessica is the quote unquote bad wild one and elizabeth is like the quote unquote good like responsible one but we as adults in 2020 can see that there's like so much more going on and neither of them fit into either of those categories quite as right. cleanly as i think the author probably intended them to all these years later
1: but they're still fun
0: they are fun yeah. Abby, how did yeah, it match your expectations as somebody who like was not into this series as a kid? Did it was it was it what you thought it might be, or was it a lot different?
2: It was definitely similar to was sort of what I expected, except a little bit more stereotypical even than I like mm-hmm. sort of expected. That said, it was still fun to read. Yeah, like I had a good time. Mm-hmm. It goes so fast, it goes down so easy. Yeah, and not gonna lie, like I w- so the book ends sort of as like, on the cliffhanger of. Elizabeth at her dance and her friends being like you can't be spontaneous and then it's like sets up for the new Elizabeth and I'm not gonna lie like I sort of want to like see what happens yeah me too I get it you know
1: can they, can like, greenlight a Sweet Valley High series or movie? They've been Has trying to do— a, So
0: there was a series um, a while ago, I think in the 90s, and then they've been trying to do a movie for years for a while. I think in, like, the mid-aughts, Diablo Cody, who did Juno and, like, a bunch mm-hmm. of other movies, was signed on to do it, and then it fell through. And then there was another sort of, like, undertaking of it, greenlit, I think, in 2017, but there hasn't been a lot of news. So I was reading this article, actually, with the creator of the series, Francine Pascal, who was like, I hope I live to see the day that like there's actually a movie because she's 81 so she's like really hoping that she gets to see it it would be it would be really interesting like I, I know that Greta Gerwig is doing the Barbie movie it would be really mm-hmm. interesting to see somebody like her do Sweet Valley mm-hmm. and like interpret oh, it in like a really cool way
2: Mm -hmm. Well, and as much as like we talked about sort of the things that are written in it, you know, like around like, oh, the perfect size six or all that to see it in a movie, I think would be a movie or a TV show. It would be almost, you know, not that different from a lot of shows that we Mm -hmm. are already familiar with. Like if you think about a Riverdale or something, for instance, like all those high schoolers are just like smoke show, like model level people with like. Mm crazy bodies and, like, contoured faces and so wealthy and, like, wearing all the makeup and stuff. When you watch it, though, it's not as obvious as when you read it, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's all still there. It's all still, like, the same Still happening. And, like, still idolizing different people and sort of, you know, having, like, the ideal, like, high school athlete boy jock and, Mm -hmm. you know, girls and stuff. So it would be interesting to see it and I actually don't think it would be that much more unpalatable than anything that's already sort of in that like teen genre yeah. No, or they could even go the other way
1: and make these two characters truly caricatures and then make it be just a hilarious comedy like a where people get the joke yeah exactly right. where people get the joke yeah
0: like I, I feel like that's what greta gerwig might do with it it would um, be so good and it would be so good well if it happens i think the three of us should go see it together would love. It would be so much fun. What else, if anything, have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners? It can be like anything. There's no rules. It doesn't have to be anything. a YA book. Anything.
2: I just read Play It As It Lays by um, Joan Didion, which was really good. And then I'm reading In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. So very different than Sweet Valley High. Some classic. Oh, very good. Yeah. Trying to read <laughs> in quarantine My most recent
1: are a Billion Dollar Whale. Which is very good. That reads like like a thriller, but um, and you don't have to be in finance or understand finance to like it. It's actually very good. Um, and then the other things, I love a um, Hollywood memoir. Um, <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? The Jonathan Van Ness book is very That's good. So um, good. I bet it's so good. It's very good. That one I just read in a weekend, and it was so much fun um and then I loved the Demi Moore book oh I haven't read that one yet I've heard it's good though
0: like really juicy it's
1: so juicy like her life because like I think we're a little too young yeah. to know what Demi Moore was right like we we weren't there for like her tabloid fodder, fodder so reading her life since she was like 15 and what she went through it is wild it's crazy that you could read in a day I mean that yeah. was just
2: i turning pages yeah because you've been you've been bringing it up in a couple of conversations we've had, and it does sound very very juicy. And now I just want to be able to talk to you about it. You know,
0: if you want juicy, so you guys have to read the Jessica Simpson book too. Oh yes,
2: That's
1: on my that was supposed
2: to be good too. It's I've so read a lot good. Of like- Coverage of the book, but I haven't read the book itself. It's Wait, like actually, shockingly good.
1: Oh, I'm sure. I've heard great things. Actually, this is an, an amazing book, which everyone listening to this podcast has to read. And it's like my number one book. If you want like the juiciest book,
0: I know what you're gonna well, say. Well, and I, I, know. I was hoping you would talk about
2: this one.
1: Bass Girl, yes. Susie <laughs> Favor <Faber-ham- Yes>. hat. <Hamilton.
2: laughs> knew it. We both knew it. All right. Olympic pitch runner. It. Pitch it.
1: Olympic runner okay. turned Las Vegas Prostitute. Number two on the strip. It is amazing. It is a true story. It has. prostitution yeah. it has the Olympics mm-hmm. she documents all of her run-ins while she was a prostitute and they, it, it covers everything like it she did there. not hold back it is incredible she's amazing
0: I knew you so, would talk about that I'm so glad you did <laughs> me too I'll include links to all of those including <laughs> Fast Girl in mm-hmm. the show notes for this episode also a link to your podcast do you guys want to talk about your podcast for a minute and like share all the awesome stuff you're working
2: on sure Abby, you want to give the elevator pitch? Yeah, so it is called (laughs) Odd job and what we do is we basically just sit down and chat with people and discuss you know their kind of unique or unusual jobs so so far we've spoken with a psychic medium we've spoken with Allie and mm-hmm. that was a great episode that we're super excited amazing about episode. yeah a seduction expert later today we're actually talking to a bounty hunter James, who am I forgetting I'm forgetting so many oh a corrections officer at maximum
1: yeah. prison we have Mystery, a professional pickup artist, which I'm sure you know who she, he is from the bh one television show from cool. like 2005. Yeah. Um, we are, we're missing people. Oh, a Bridesmaid for Hire, Jen Glantz. Bridesmaid
2: for Hire. And yeah. then we have a former FBI cyber crimes expert who now basically deletes people from the internet. And when I say deletes people from the internet, we're talking, you know, victims of domestic abuse in a lot of cases, a lot of celebrities he works with, or, you know, individuals who might you know, revenge porn type things, he works with cases like Mm -hmm. that. But so he's really fascinating because he used to hunt pedophiles online and now he's sort of protecting Mm -hmm. people's privacy online. So it's kind of like a fascinating flip there. But yeah, so we're really excited about it. And we've had awesome conversations with these individuals. Awesome
1: conversations. We learn a lot Because basically the premise of our show is just to learn why people do what they do, especially with some of these odd jobs. So you learn a lot about just people in general, and we have a lot of fun. It's super funny, and there's definitely a lot of different fun personalities on the podcast for sure. Well, I hope that all of the SSR listeners out there will go
0: check out Oddjob. Thank you so much for being <laughs> on today and talking Sweet Valley with me. I had so much fun. Sometimes I do just want to talk about Sweet Valley every episode because it like makes my stomach hurt from laughing
1: so hard. It's the best. Oh, it's thank amazing. you so much for having us. This was so much fun. And thank you for like prompting us to read another Sweet Valley book.
2: Honestly, I might read another one. So thank you, Allie. (laughs) If you do, you have to let me know. Okay. The cult one. We should do the cult one. Yeah. Yeah, Can you
1: invite us back to do the cult one? Yeah. We just have
0: to, by the time all three of us track down the cult book, then it'll be time for you guys to come back on. Sounds good. Perfect. It'll take a minute. Awesome. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.